Please be seated. So is it good to have Greg back? Amen. We're glad to have you. Hobbled as you are, still glad to have you. So it was kind of fun when I came out the door earlier. You know, on the same day, Buddy operated on both Greg and Jerry. And so I come out the door and they are both lined up on the starting line with their scooters right over here. (laughs) So it was great to see that. So Jerry had the bell. Greg did not, so we'll... He doesn't want a bell. Well, it's great, great to have you guys back, and great to have you back. Hey, as, uh, as uh, Connor talked about uh, luncheon next week, um, Valerie, would you raise your hands? You guys take a note, see Valerie. Valerie has a list, a list of different areas, so if you want to talk to Valerie uh, right after church, she would really appreciate that and kind of give you a hint or a clue on uh, maybe some things to bring next week. Now, if you say, I can't run to see Valerie because i got to scoot right out after church, I want to encourage you to take the communication card, grab the communication card, put your name and your phone number on there so that we can hand those then to Valerie and she can give you a buzz this week and say, yes, I, I want to I bring something, but i got to scoot. Just leave a quick note and she'll give you a buzz this week as well. But if you have a chance, see Valerie after church and she'll hang out over near the sound booth and... Um, be available to you to have a conversation about what to bring. Well, it's good to be back. We uh, enjoyed a quick weekend with uh, a couple of guys up at a men's retreat. And guys, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you to put this on your radar for next fall. So we're going to be planning to take a bunch of you guys up to the men's retreat next year, next September. So kind of put that in your thought process. Put that in your radar. Um, the camp is great. The location is great. Now, I think the location is great because it's close to where I grew up. But it's you're in the Catskill Mountains. The air is crisp. You get to walk down along the lake. You get to watch the, the mist rise because the lake is warm and the air is cool. It's beautiful, beautiful country right along the Delaware River. You get to ride through the hawk's nest. Some of you might. Some of you probably have seen the hawk's nest, and you don't even know you've seen the hawk's nest because you've seen it on commercials. It's just this twisty-turny part of highway, and people with sports cars like to drive up there and film it and show the sports cars weaving back and forth. But it's a beautiful spot right above the Delaware, and there are a bunch of hawks that will fly there, some bald eagles at times that will fly there, and you get to see them kind of dive down into the river and grab something. And, uh, but it's a beautiful area, it's a great area, and uh, it's a great time to take a break, guys, but also to hang out with some guys, to be challenged in the Word and challenged with what it means to be a guy. And uh, so I would encourage you to put, put that on your radar, to get that on your, your, your thought process, and as we get closer next year, we'll let you know more. But just jot a note in your calendar, it'd be great. Now, Connor did a great job last week, and we're going to continue that conversation of this is us and kind of talking about the reality of who we are and who we are seeking to be. Because it's both, isn't it? It's this combination of who we are, but it's also this aspirational component of who we are seeking to pursue ourselves to be. It's both. And if we could just maybe turn this down a little bit, I've got a little echo, that'd be wonderful. So, this morning we're going to be talking specifically about the issues of discipleship. And of course, if you're going to talk about issues of discipleship, you got to know where we're going to go, right? Anyone have a clue where we're going to go? Don't go there yet. Don't shout out to me. Where are we going to go? 
Matthew 28, right? It's, it's, it's that great commission where Jesus says, go and make disciples. It's that message for us, the marching orders. It's that, it's that last declaration. It's that last statement that Jesus gives and says, guys, I'm out. I'm going. I'm leaving you here. Now, before I go, my final words to you. Go and make disciples. So let's read that briefly together this morning. Matthew 28. Verses 18 to 20, Jesus came near and said to them, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Pause for a second. Is there a higher authority? No. There is not a higher authority. Now here's what's really, really, really cool. Any of you have the chance this past week to get on the phone and make a phone call to President Biden? Okay. How about, did anyone have a chance this week to just get our, one of our senators or our congressmen on the phone? And do you, any, of you, any of you have kind of like his direct line? We don't, do we? The reality in life is we have to sometimes look to find uh, you know, uh, someone from township, you know, now, now where's, where's the councilman's phone number? And you call the office, can I come in and see the councilman? Even, even on such a local level, we have these barriers in place to, to kind of filter out who's going to have FaceTime with our various officials. But here's what's so cool. We have a direct line to Jesus. A direct line. We have the opportunity all the time to cry out to Jesus and to start a conversation and say, Jesus, I've been thinking about. Jesus, can I talk to you about? Jesus, this has been weighing on my heart. Jesus, this has been on my mind. And we have the opportunity to go right to Jesus all the time, the one who has all authority and all power. Not a single individual has more power or more authority than Jesus over all of creation. And all of the filters that exist for us to get to intermediaries and in, in other individuals in our governing system, and yet we get to go talk directly to the God of the universe. All authority, Jesus says, has been given to me. There is not a higher authority in all of creation than me. Go, therefore. Now, I have two boys in the military, as you know this. They get a phone call from President Biden. Kyle Brown, I have a job for you. Or Daniel Brown, I've got a job for you. Do they have the option of saying, well, sir, let me think about this. Let me talk to the sergeant. No. Who's President Biden is who? We call him president, but what's his other title? Commander in chief. So here is commander in chief of all creation. Commander-in-chief of all things. And he says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus 
was talking to the disciples, but the reality also we recognize is that Jesus was not just having a conversation with the disciples, but he was also having a conversation with us, and he was saying, go. I want you to go, and as you go, I want you to be involved in a process of making disciples. I want you to start to invest in other people's lives. I want you to start to help other people to know me, but I don't want you just to help other people to know me. I want you to help other people to start to grow and become in themselves the kind of people that you have become. Followers of mine, disciples of mine. So I want you to make disciples. I want you to go and be about the process of making disciples. Now there's two things that he talked about here. But as we walk through this, I want to touch on a number of things. You're going to see this in your notes. You're going to see this if you, have a, if you picked up a bulletin. You're going to see this in, in, in your hands. The disciples um, learned some key discipleship lessons. Let me kind of walk through a number of what these are. First of all, baptism was vital to the discipleship journey. It was vital. Jesus says, go and make disciples doing what? Baptizing them. The disciples were part of Jesus' ministry, and, and they were both baptized, but they also were involved in the process of baptizing others who followed after him. And if you remember, if you think about your Bible history, and you maybe think about the Scriptures a little bit, on the day of Pentecost, we referenced this a little bit ago, when Peter is preaching, and about 3,000 people made that decision for Christ, what did they do right away? Do you remember? They got baptized. The disciples took them down to the river. They took them to the pond. They took them to the pool. I'm not sure exactly where they took them. I'm thinking of the river. They took them down the river, and they baptized them because they understood the integral nature of baptism because in this culture, and, and I would suggest to you biblically, the understanding is that when someone is baptized, that's how they publicly identify themselves with someone else. They were publicly saying, I am identifying myself with Jesus. I am identifying myself as a follower of Christ. And they are baptized. And you see this throughout Scripture. Biblically, the way a person biblically identifies themselves with Christ is through baptism. And so they, the disciples thoroughly understood the importance of baptism. Now Jesus reminded them, go and make disciples baptizing individuals. But here's something else that I want you to notice. They, 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 as they think about the discipleship journey, it was intentional. It was intentional. Now, Jesus was very intentional, wasn't he? He selected 12 individuals that he was going to invest himself in. Now, as you kind of read the gospel stories and you look at and you listen about the, the story of Jesus, you'll hear about how Jesus will be traveling through different areas and there's a group of people with him. People would say, scholars would say that there was probably up to about a group of 500 people who on a regular basis were a part of Jesus' group that kind of traveled with him and went to different areas and different places. But there were other times when it was just the 12. Why? Because Jesus very intentionally, very specifically spent some time talking to the Father and then identifying from this crowd and this larger group of people that were following after him, Jesus very intentionally, very specifically chose from that crowd 12 men to invest in. 
It was intentional because Jesus understood his purpose. Jesus understood his timeline. Jesus understood that he was going to go to the cross and take our sin upon himself. Jesus understood that, and he knew that he was going to die, he knew that he was going to be raised, and he knew that he was going to pass the baton to these 12 men. And so Jesus very intentionally chose to make an investment in these 12 men's lives. But here's something else that I would suggest that started to take place. As these guys were chosen, as these guys were selected out, these guys also started to become intentional. Because, have you ever noticed this? As you kind of get selected for something, you start to pay attention a little bit more. You start to ask some different questions. You engage differently. And these guys started to engage differently as well. So there's a real intentionality in the process of discipleship. Look at the next thing that they understood perfectly well. It was personal. It was personal. See, these are things, so when Jesus says, go and make disciples, they understand this. They understand the personal nature. Because Jesus personally, intentionally chose them. And he said to them, guys, I want you to be my disciples. I'm going to intentionally invest. Now, they also understood this in the culture. Because if a rabbi started to teach, and if a rabbi started to come into a setting to, to establish ministry, he would often choose disciples. And it was personal, but he was intentional and it was personal. Jesus spent time with these 12 Men. And we also know of those 12 men, he specifically focused in on three Peter, James, and John. But it was very personal. Jesus knew them, he knew their families, he knew their stories, he knew their lives, and they knew Jesus. And and they spent time together talking to each other, interacting with each other. It was very, very personal. It's very difficult to disciple someone from a distance. It's almost impossible. Because if we're going to disciple somebody, we're going to start to get involved in each other's lives. And personal stuff is going to start to be discovered. Personal things are going to start to be uncovered. Personal things are going to come out into the open. And that's okay. But it was very, very personal. When Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan, when he said, no, 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 you shouldn't go, you're not going to die, no, 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 that's not going to happen. Do you think that was personal? Oh, yeah. When Peter denied Jesus, and then Jesus has a conversation with him after the resurrection, and, he, and we see that passage where he talks about that forgiveness, and he says, Peter, do you love me? That was a personal conversation. It was, it was not just a conversation with all the guys, and Peter was, knew it was going to the deep parts of his being. It was personal. Discipleship is personal, where we take time to get to know one another, where we take time to make an investment in one another. It's not just distance. It's personal. So when Jesus said to the guys, make disciples, they understood this. How about this next one? It was much more than just instruction. 
It was so much more than just instruction. Now, this is where we in America really mess up. And it's where we in our culture really drop the ball. We have bought into the idea, we've bought into the concept that if we educate, education changes things. That's what our culture believes. So if there's a problem, let's pursue more education. If there's a problem, let's have more teaching. But more teaching and more instruction isn't always the issue. Now, is there instruction? Yes. Yes, there's instruction. Yes, there's teaching. Yes, there's sitting down and and walking through things. And there were times when the disciples would sit at Jesus' feet and they would listen to Jesus teach. They would listen to Jesus instruct. And absolutely, there was instruction. But then there was times afterwards where they would say, Jesus, I'm not fully getting this. Can you help me with this? And how about those times when Jesus sent the disciples out? He says, okay, guys, I'm going to send you out. I want you to go do these things and I'm going to have you do these things. It wasn't now just an instruction. It was now practical application. It was taking time to, to, to wrestle through the concepts, wrestle through the ideas, and, and to, to see how does this work, and how does this fit, and how does this take place. And again, as we spend time with individuals, and as we make an investment with individuals, sometimes we just need to learn to let people to live with us, to kind of follow along life with us. Jesus didn't sit down with these 12 guys and say, okay, guys, we're going to meet back here at my house, and we're going to meet here every afternoon at 2 o'clock, and then that's, no, that's not what he said. He said, okay, guys, this is what we're going to do. We're going to go on a three-year road trip together. So for the next three years, I want you guys to hang out with me. I'm going to have you guys travel with me. We're going to do stuff together. You're going you're gonna to hunt for me sometimes, and you're not going to find me because I'm going to be out praying. There's gonna be, I'm going to have things that I'm going to have you do. I'm going to have responsibilities for you guys to fulfill. So guys, we're going to kind of go on this three-year road trip, and I'm going to expect you to hang out with me, to be with me, and you're going to watch me, and you're going to listen. You're going to ask questions. It's going to be way more than just instruction. It's going to be kind of like this life deep dive and I'm going to have you kind of dive deep into my life and I'm going to start to speak into your life. I'm going to invite you to kind of come alongside my life to watch, to listen, to observe and to hang out. You're going to pick up the hood. You're going to look around the hood. You're going to kick the tires. You're going to do all that kind of stuff in life. Guys, I want you to hang out with me. Come spend time with me. And so often we look at discipleship and we try to separate discipleship from hanging out with us, from getting to know us, from spending time with us because so often Things are more caught than they are taught. We start to pick up in the idiosyncrasies. We pick up on the routines. We pick up on the patterns. And so often is so much more than just instruction. Have you heard the old saying, do what I say, don't do what I do? That didn't work with Jesus. Jesus said, I want you to listen to what I say, and then after you hear what I say, I want you to do what I do, because Jesus was doing what he was saying. But he wanted them to watch, to listen, to observe, and learn. Because so often, so often, things are learned by observation, not so much by instruction. 
I love it when I hear the stories about someone who has been trained by somebody and they go to class and they do all the class stuff. And then they get to the shop and it doesn't work. And then they come alongside this seasoned journeyman who's been doing this task for umpteen years. And he goes, oh yeah, just forget what you learned in shop. Forget what you learned in class because this is how you need to do it because this is how it really works. He says, you've got to do this. And they tell you to do this. No, you've got to... And they walk you through the systematic process of how to do things. It's so much more than instruction. It's learning to live life. So if we're going to make disciples, and the disciples were understanding this, that if they were going to make disciples, they were going to have to allow people to walk along the messiness of their life and learn from their lives and include others in their lives. Now, you know what's interesting? Not all the disciples, I'm confident, were people, people. See, we look at this stuff, we say, but I'm not a people person. You can look at me and say, Andrew, you're a people person. You can talk, you can, you can, you're, you're glad to have people around you all the time, but there's just some times that I need a break and I don't want people around. That's okay. But we need to learn to make room for people and space for people in our lives to invest in them, to speak into their lives. It's so much more than instruction. And the disciples got it because they've been watching Jesus for the last three years. How about this next one? A big part of the process, this is where we're going, was Jesus just letting them be present. They got it. They understood it. Just letting them be present. The next, growth may take years. Takes years. How quickly do you want your newborn to be mowing the lawn? Listen, you're two years old. You should be taken out the trash. It just takes some time. It takes some time for maturity and growth to take place. It takes time. And sometimes we want to microwave the process. We love microwaves, don't we? We can eat in 30 seconds instead of 30 minutes. But here's the problem. We go to the store, we buy all the pre-processed stuff. We throw it in the microwave, and we eat in 30 seconds. But we have no clue on how to make it our own. See, we need to learn how to put things together. We need to learn how to make life and do life. It's not a microwave process. It's not pre-processed, ready to pop in the oven and come out ready to to look wonderful. The discipleship process is sloppy. And we make mistakes, and we fail, we drop the ball, and then we got to come back and try again. It's not always tidy. Growth can take years. The disciples, these guys, spent three years following Jesus. Three years. 
If Jesus took three years to speak into the 12 disciples' lives, then we should not be trying to rush the process in other people's lives. We should be willing to let it take time, to give them space to grow, space to mature, space to develop, and space to become who Jesus wants them to be. We should be patient with the fits and starts because it does take time. And they got it. They understood these things. How about the next one? Jesus expected the disciples to, three things, step up, to step out, and to lead. And as Jesus was saying this to them, therefore go and make disciples, that's exactly what they were understanding Jesus was saying. Guys, it's time now for you guys to step up. Guys, it's time for you now to step into the vacancy that I am going to leave as a discipler. Guys, it's now time for you to step out and for you to find others that are going to be disciples. Guys, it's now time for you to step out and to start investing your lives in others. Guys, it's now time for you to lead the church and to lead the movement that I am leaving. My part of the process is done. Now I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is going to empower you. Now, as I said, as he says in a minute, I'm never going to leave you. I'm never going to forsake you. I'm going to always be around, and the Holy Spirit is going to be here to enable you and empower you to do the work that I have called you to do. But guys, it's time for you to step up. It's time for you to step out, and it's time now for you guys to lead. It's time for you guys to do it. Now again, the disciples understood this. Was it intimidating? Yes. Were they probably fearful? Absolutely. Were they saying, but Jesus, can't you stay a little longer? Probably absolutely they were saying that. But he says, no. You guys got this. You guys are ready for this. I'm ready to pass the time. Here you go. Don't drop it. I'm letting go. And now I'm out of here. I'm going to come back the same way I'm leaving. That's what the angel said as they watched him ascend into the clouds. The Holy Spirit's coming, and the Holy Spirit's going to work through you, and and wonderful things are going to happen. So be patient. And it did. Wonderful things did happen. And they were ready. They did step up. They did step out, and they did lead well. And the church of Jesus Christ, now 2,000 years plus later, is still thriving and moving forward. And they got it, and they understood it. Now, here's the last one that I see. And they got this one, too. And there's probably points in the process where they wrestled with us, but I think these are times when all of us at different times wrestle with this. A person ready to be discipled did not see obedience as an ugly or negative thing. Oh man, do we wrestle with that word or what? So often in our context of life, we look at that word obedience and we kind of see it in this negative way. Oh, I gotta be obedient. I gotta do what they have to say. And we see this as a negative. 
How many times do we as parents go to our kids, obey? They go, no. (laughs) And off they run. And then off we run to deal with their disobedience and correct their disobedience. Why? Because inside of us, we are wired to say no. Inside of us, we are wired toward disobedience. We're just wired toward it. It's called sin. Inside of us is this knee-jerk reaction that wants to resist that word called obedience. But a disciple, a person ready to be discipled, is going to sit down and kind of look at that word and say, okay, I'm at a point in my life where I'm ready to learn what it means to obey all that Jesus has commanded. I'm in a point in my life where I'm willing to sit down and learn what it means to apply all of these things in my life that Jesus says I need to do. Our journey. You guys know we got four boys. and Joe and I have been married 34 years, and we have budgeted all 34 years. Our whole life we budgeted. And so we have sat down at different times with our boys. And we've said to them, guys, you need to learn how to budget. And they go, oh, no way. I want to be a free spirit. Problem with being a free spirit is you want to spend money and then you no longer have the money to spend on the things you want because you were a free spirit earlier and you now have no money left to spend. And over time, we've been saying, you need to learn to budget. You know, it's, it's like this, this disciplined component of life, this, this controlled component of life where you discipline yourself and kind of hold yourself accountable. And I say to our guys, listen, guys, if you learn this, it's going to free you in your life. If you learn what it means to, to budget and to kind of be careful with your money and kind of as Ramsey would say, spend your money before you spend your money and to put your money into the various areas where you're going to kind of watch it and and keep it all together and then spend it carefully. I just had this conversation with Brian the other day. In fact, yesterday we're talking about budgeting. I said, Brian, you've, you've seen my budget a little bit and you see like it's got like these 30 or 40 categories of all this stuff. How many checking accounts do I have? He goes, one. Yes, I got one checking account, but all the money in my checking account is all broken up into all these little different categories and being careful. And and if you learn to do this, it's going to set you free. Obedience is just like that. And I'm trying to teach my boys to learn that discipline. The same thing is true with obedience. When we learn obedience, it frees us in our lives. It takes away the grief. It takes away the aggravation. It just provides so much freedom in our lives. It truly sets us free. But so often we look at this disciplining of ourselves. We, we look at this putting of boundaries around in different parts of our lives. And we say, oh, that's going to be confining. Oh, that's going to be restricting. And the reality is it frees us. And Jesus is talking to the disciples, and guys, I want you to teach people to obey everything I've commanded, because when they learn obedience, that is when life will really sing. So guys, don't accept less than obedience to what I've called. Don't compromise on that area, because people will experience so much less of me and from me 
if they don't learn to honor me and to follow my lead. And they understood it because why? What took place in their life? They were in the process of learning obedience. They were in the process of learning compliance. They were in the process of learning to follow, learning to listen. And as they did that, their lives started to sing. So as I look at those things, the disciples, when Jesus is talking to the disciples and he says to them, guys, I want you to go and make disciples. They weren't looking at Jesus saying, Jesus, can you I'm confused. They weren't confused. They got it. They understood it because these things that we were just talking about, they got it. They understood. Now, here's the challenge. I just want to run through a couple of sets of verses real quick with you. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. This is Paul talking to Timothy. And as Paul is talking to Timothy, Timothy is a gentleman who's been discipled. Timothy is now a gentleman, a young man who's been deployed into ministry. And what does Paul say to him as he's been deployed into ministry, as he's now functioning more independently. He's functioning away because Paul can now send him off to do things. Paul can pass the baton to him in different areas and have him now pick up other areas of responsibility. What does he say? Be diligent to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, correctly handling the word of truth. What does he say to Timothy? Timothy, you need to keep on that journey of discipleship. Timothy, I have passed the baton to you in various ways. I have encouraged you in different ways. I have released you in different ways. But Timothy, you need to continue to be on that journey of discipleship. When do you get off the discipleship train? When? You don't seem convinced. You never get off the discipleship train. You never stop pursuing what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Ever. I had a birthday this past week. I'm officially now an old guy. Okay? Yes. Woo! I'm officially an old guy. Now, when can I stop being a disciple of Jesus? Never. There's not a point where I can punch the clock, check out, and say, okay, I'm all done. I don't need to be a disciple of Jesus anymore. I cannot live stupidly and foolishly. Why would I want to live stupidly and foolishly? But there's not a point in time where you check out. And Paul is saying to Timothy, Timothy, stay focused. It's a lifelong journey. And what's going on is, and you're going to see this in a second, there's so much more still to learn. There's so much more. So let's look at a couple of other other verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Paul wanted to talk to the church of Corinth about a series of things. He couldn't. This is what Paul said. For my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, but not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you're still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, and not wor- you are not worldly and behaving like, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? Guys! I've spent time with you. I laid the foundations for you. And you should have moved on from the foundations. But guys, you're still drinking and eating baby food. 
we've experienced something very interesting in our home. We used to go through milk like crazy. Four boys in a house. Milk was gone. When you not put milk in the fridge, it goes bad. I gotta tell you, I'm also thoroughly confused. When a hurricane is coming through and bad weather is coming through, everyone wipes out the milk section. I don't fully get that. I don't really understand that because we don't drink milk as a basis of anyway. So I don't know why we have to go get milk to withstand rain and high winds. I'm really not sure what's going on there. But we come to a point in our lives where we kind of get beyond the need for milk and we start drinking other stuff. It's time to get beyond the kids' foods. You know, we don't have a whole lot of Cheerios in our cupboard anymore. A lot of the kids' foods have been, they've gone out. We don't have any Gerber stuff. Maybe we'll get some of that again but not for a while. Why? Because little kids are now big, and they're out. We don't need it anymore. But what was happening in the Church of Corinth? They were still needing Gerber food. They were still needing milk. And Paul was saying to them, come on, guys. You're at a point in your journey where you shouldn't need this anymore. You're at a point in your journey where you should have moved on from this. Look at this next section in Hebrews. It's huge. Because then the author of Hebrews starts to list some of the things we should be going beyond. Now, now pause for a second. Any of you go into a high-rise building? Come on, wave your hand at me if you've been in a high-rise building. Okay, very good. So you're going to get this. So you go into a high-rise building, either you take the elevator or you go up the stairs. As you take the elevator or go up the stairs, do you scorn, despise, and don't have any care about the foundation and the floors that are below you? No, you're really glad they're there, and you're really glad they're built well, and you would be really unhappy if they started to fall apart. So you're really good for the foundation. You're really happy about the foundation. You're really happy for those things that are holding you up as you go up. But you're not focused on staying on the ground floor. You have something that's taking you up. Well, there's foundational beliefs and foundational things of faith that are great, that are wonderful, that are glorious. But they are also things that the writer of Hebrews says, guys, you should, movie, you should be moving beyond this because there's more than just this. Listen to what he says in Hebrews chapter 5, chapter 7, or verse 7 down to 6, verse 2. Don't worry, it's a short chapter. It's not a long chapter. It says, during his early life, talking about Jesus, he offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who was able to save him from death. And he, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was the son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. After he was perfected, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. And he was declared by God as high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We're going to walk through Hebrews uh, later this year, so I'll explain more of this later. But I want you to understand we're talking about Jesus, and we're laying the foundation. We're talking about the ministry and the life of Jesus and the things that Jesus has done. 
Here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, we have a great deal to say about this, about the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. And it's difficult to explain since you have become too lazy to understand. Although by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the basic principles of God's revelation again. You need milk, not solid food. Not everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. Excuse me, now, everyone, I said not, but it's now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant, but solid food is for the mature. Can I tell you something? I've talked about this meal before. Last night we had some London broil and cheesy potatoes. Oh man, it was good. I I wish your daughter, when she was born, could have some, but she's just not going to be ready for it. But I got to tell you, It's good. You take that, you throw it on the grill, you let it cook on the grill for a little bit, and you take that off, and it's kind of a little red inside and crispy and nice on the outside, and oh man, it is good. But you know, it's not a meal for a one-year-old. Man, that one-year-old is missing out. Now, he's mostly happy with Gerber and some milk, but he is just totally missing out. There's better meals coming. Unless you don't grow up. If you don't grow up, you're stuck with milk and Gerber. Not everyone. Now, let me say it again. Now, everyone who lives on milk is inexperienced with the message about righteousness because he is an infant. But solid food is for the mature, for those who sent, whose whose sense have been trained to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teachings about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying out of hands the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Now he talks about those things. He says, these aren't bad things, but these things are foundational. This is the bottom floor. This is the foundation. This is where you come into the building. But this is a high rise. There is so much more to experience. There is so much more to explore. So much more to see if you'll grow up and become who Jesus wants you to be. There's just so much more. If you're willing to grow and if you're willing to become a disciple, if you're willing to learn what it means to obey Christ and allow him to work in your life, there, is, there are vistas on the top floor that Jesus wants you to see that you can never see from the ground floor. But you have to work your way up to see it. There are nuggets of truth tucked all through this building. And all through this building are amazing things for you to uncover. But you got to take the time to learn to start going up the stairs and taking the elevator to the second floor and then the third floor. Take the stairs periodically because sometimes there's some tucked in the stairwell. I want you to learn and I want you to go. I want you to explore all of who it is of who I am and what I have about life for you to discover. But we need to be willing to grow and this is all about that process of discipleship. There are great foundational truths for us to uncover and they are wonderful and they're glorious man to think about the fact that I one day am going to be in heaven with Jesus forever and I don't have to worry about 
or fear death, and, but rather I, I, I have the hope and promise of eternity. That is glorious and that is wonderful. But there is still so much more to discover than just that. Wrestling through the reality that I am a sinful individual, I am flawed. We should all really understand that we should all really grapple with the reality that we are flawed individuals because of sin. We are deficient in so many ways, but we don't need to stay focused on that reality. We can look beyond that reality to the fact that Jesus has saved us, the fact that Jesus has given his life for us, and we have the opportunity to live out our lives in victory in Jesus Christ, starting to discover so much of who God is, what God is like. And we can just, we don't, Forget that that is there, but we don't have to dwell on that reality. Because there is so much more that God has for us if we will embrace the journey of growth and discipleship. There's so much more if we're willing to grow. Leave the rest of that for when we talk about Hebrews later on. One more verse to look at. And I love this verse. I kind of see this passage as kind of a, the commissioning, the calling for me as a pastor and for all in ministry. Excuse me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 10 to 16. It says, The one who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens to fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry to build up the body of Christ. He gets that. This is the discipleship process. To build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son. Growing into maturity with stature measured by Christ's fullness. Who's the measuring stick? It's not you or me. The measuring stick for maturity, the measuring stick for fullness is Christ. Then we will no longer be little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness and the techniques of deceit. But speaking the truth in love, let us grow, into, grow in every way into him who is the head, Christ. Now catch this next part because this is so cool. From him the whole body, fitted and knit together by every supporting ligament, promotes the growth of the body for building itself up in love by the proper working of each individual part. See, what's so cool is as we do this journey, as we pursue this journey mutually, and the significance of this is it's the mutuality of this journey. As we do this mutually together, we pursue what it means to be who Jesus wants us to be, and we choose to grow, and we choose to die to ourselves and live to Christ. What he's saying is, man, the church is just going to rock and roll. People are going to be transformed. Lives are going to be changed. People are going to grow together. People are going to be transformed together. God is going to just do some amazing, wonderful things. But it also, though, includes a willingness of each of us to pursue the journey of being who Jesus wants us to be. It means the willingness for each of us, as Jesus said to the disciples, I want you to step up, I want you to step out, and I want you to lead. It means each of us being willing to do that. It means each of us being willing to step up in the areas where God has gifted us, being willing to step out and investing in others and training others, equipping others, and then also each of us leading in various areas. And we're going to talk about some of this next week. But as you see the functioning in the body of Christ, 
As the body of Christ grows and matures, God can do some amazing things in the body of Christ. And he can use it to help shape and transform our world around us. We look at our world around us and we see so much of the chaos of of life that's going on around us. And the answer to that is Jesus. The answer to that is the gospel. And we are the messengers. We are the heralds of that. Now, the great news is that we get to not just bring the message, but we also, if we're going to be disciples, we get to then model the reality of it because it's one thing to listen to what someone says. It's another thing to watch and say, you know, I know my life is messed up, and I'm hearing what you're saying, but I'm watching your life now, and you know what I realize? You're not screwed up. You kind of have your stuff together. And when the world listens to the message of Jesus, but then sees people living who are not messed up, but have their act together, and they realize it's the reality of Jesus. Joan and I had a conversation with somebody yesterday, and he looked at me and says, do you ever get angry? And we said, yeah, I get angry once in a while. But in that conversation, I was talking about the reality of some things going on in their life where they could have hope and peace. Guys, we get to be that kind of herald. We get to be that kind of messenger. We get to be that kind of people as the body of Christ. And if we are functioning well together as the way that Jesus called us and designed us to function, it will be amazing. But we can't do that if we don't choose to grow. We can't do that if we don't choose to be a disciple. Three applications, real quick. Three action steps. Number one, we've pushed back class one, so we're going to have class one on the 24th of October. I would invite you, if you haven't been to class one, I would invite you out to class one. Class one is the opening bell for us in some of the discipleship process as we talk about what it means to be the follower of Jesus. For us, this is part of our discipleship journey. I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Now, it's also part of that process for membership for us. We ask people if they're going to be a member to go to class one. But I would also say this. If you want to pursue the next steps of your journey of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, I would encourage you to be a class one. That's going to be October 24th. Now, you say, Pastor, I, I, I just can't make Sunday afternoons. Let's have a conversation. We'll figure out a different time and a different way to do it. But if you can... Join us for class one. We have classes two and three as well, part of that discipleship journey. We encourage you to plug into those as well. Number two, think through what you need in your spiritual diet to stay healthy and growing. What do you need in your spiritual diet to stay healthy and growing as a follower of Jesus? That's essential for your journey of discipleship. Number three, explore how to get engaged. Ask yourself yourself the question, how can I plug in and be engaged in the things that Jesus wants me to do? Because as I, again, we went through that passage in Ephesians, each of us, as we plug in, we get to help shape and change our world. We're going to explore that more next week. Let's pray together. Father, I say thank you so much for your richness and goodness to us. And I say thank you for the amazing ways that you show us the richness and the goodness 